Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler. I lead Faith Christian Center right here in Austell, Georgia. Thank you for tuning in today. I believe today's message is going to equip you and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. As you listen, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up to the message, apply it, and I'll talk to you after today's message. Open your Bible with me to Psalm 25. Psalm 25. We're a little bit more than a month away from launching our own 24-7 internet television station called Faith Plus. Amen. We have speakers upon speakers and faith broadcasters have signed up. Some of the newest ones who have signed up. Of course, our own founder is going to be on our network. Amen. But also so has Dr. Billy Brim. She'll be on the network as well. So it's growing every single week. We have more announcements we'll tell next week and the weeks to come. So if you haven't downloaded the Faith Plus app, you can do so on the iTunes store or on Android or Apple TV, Amazon, as well as other devices. You can also go to faith.plus for more information. And then, of course, on January 5th, we're opening our first satellite campus right in the heart of Marietta Square. Amen? So Psalm 25, verse 4. You know, if you're new here at Faith, you can follow my notes on the YouVersion Bible app, or you can open the Faith Christian Center app. And the third link on that first page, you'll find my notes. And as some of you have noticed, if you follow the Faith app, we've already began transforming into Faith Plus. And so if you're looking for just the messages you would hear on Sunday, it's always on the second page. You'll see at the bottom of your screen, it says FCCGA with a cross. You hit that, that gives you all the information you need, as well as the shows and notes and other things you may be looking for. So Psalm 25, verse 4. The King James says it this way, Show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. The Passion Translation says, Lord, direct me throughout my journey so I can experience your plans for my life. Reveal the life paths that are pleasing to you. Verse 12 says, What man is he that fears or reverences the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he should choose. One of the things we've taught in the series that we began in late October was when we're talking about way or path here, we're talking about the custom-designed path that God has for your life. The custom-designed path that God has for your life. You're not an afterthought. Before the foundations of the world, God planned your life. Another foundation scripture for the series we looked at is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Amplified Classic Edition. It says, For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. So as we said, God has a path for your life. You are not an accident. God planned you before the foundations of the world. And when he planned you, he created a path for you. Now, one of the things we see from Ephesians 2 is the path is already prepared. The good life God has for you has already been arranged and made ready. To get the best out of life, you must stay on the path God has for you until you get to the throne of God. It's a quote I love from Dr. Billy Brim. To get the best out of life, you must stay on the path God has for you until you get to the throne of God. God has prepared a path for you, and his plan for your path is already within you. You don't have to take these personality quizzes or the Facebook quiz, see what type of potato you are. You know, you have all these type of potatoes you're about to uh, enjoy every Thanksgiving, and, you know, you're up late one night. Well, what type of potato am I? Am I a baked potato? Am I scalloped? Am I French fries? Am I mashed potatoes? Or maybe you find out what type of potato I am. I know God's plan for my life. Now, you could take those quizzes and then find out what type of potato you are if you want to, 
But that's not going to reveal God's plan for your life. We looked how in this Proverbs it says counsel or plans or advice are deep within the heart of a man, and a man of understanding will draw it out. The plan of God for your life is already in your heart. You just have to draw it out. So I have to draw it out. So God has made it and prepared a path for you. The plan is within your heart, and the path is already prepared. But we asked this question two weeks ago. The path is prepared, but are you prepared? We said God will do his part in preparing you for your path, but you must also prepare yourself and prepare your heart. We looked at the story of Rehoboam, how he was 41 when he became king. He's the son of Solomon. But in his 41 years of royal training, not one time in those 41 years did he prepare his heart to serve God. And that's why God described his reign as he did evil because he did not prepare his heart. So it is our job to prepare our hearts. Although God does do some parts in preparing us, we have our own responsibility. We don't put everything on God. We do have a part to play in this. We used this example before. If you plan to open up a business in France, please know where France is on the map. And it may be good for you to learn some French, right? So there are some natural things that come into play that we must do to prepare ourselves for the path God has for us. One of the things we saw a couple weeks ago is a prepared heart praises. A prepared heart praises. If your heart is prepared, it doesn't matter what you run into, you know how to praise your way through. An unprepared heart whines, complains, and worries and talks about everything else but praising God. A prepared heart praises. One of the things we covered in the last two weeks is one of the names of God. His name is Jehovah Jireh, or the God who sees and provides. And we looked at last week, Psalm 65, verse 11, and it says, You crown the year with your goodness, and your paths drop fatness. The word crown, we said, it means surround. So he surrounds the year with goodness. We said that word goodness means prosperity, good things, property, supply, provision. Good in the widest sense of the word, good to the farthest extreme. In this scripture, the word goodness implies harvest. So we can say that our God surrounds our year with harvest. One of the things we looked at, if, God, if it's God's job to surround our year with harvest, then it's our job to surround our year with seed. Because we cannot expect harvest if we do not sow seed. If I expect year-round harvest, then I must sow year-round. Amen? Then we looked at the latter part of the verse, and it says, and your paths drop fatness. We said the word fatness means abundance, prosperity, and overflow. We looked at the two different pictures the Hebrew was painting here, how it's like God's path has already gone before us. And when he went before us, he left prosperity and abundance behind him. So your path that God has already prepared already has prosperity on it. The path that God prepared for you already has abundance on it. Your life is surrounded with harvest, and your path has abundance, prosperity, and overflow. If it's already on your path, you might as well pick it up. And so we talked about last week how to live circumspectly, pay attention, and reap the harvest God has for you. One of the things I've been saying in this series, go back to the Harvest Checkup series. It was six weeks of teaching on how to check up if you are gathering the harvest God has for you. And we looked at different steps that people overlook where harvest is concerned. One of the things I told some people to do, and I said it over the pulpit multiple times, I said, use to see if you can refinance, if you have any debt, see if you can refinance at a better rate. Some people did it, some people didn't. Well, you still have time this year to go refinance. Look, if you have a student loan, car loan, house loan, see if you can get a better rate. 
Because one of the things is when you get a better rate and you see how much you save what you would have paid in interest, that's harvest. See, a lot of times we think of harvest when someone came up and gave me a check. That's part of it. But wisdom God gives you to better manage your finances is also harvest. We talked about last week, especially the 9 a.m., that investments. Some of you, the guy's been leading you to invest, but you've been delaying. Well, you need to research. You need to study. You need to see what investment God would have you to make. But some people limit their harvest because they don't get involved in places God told them to get involved. So the harvest is out there, but we must do what God has called us to do so we can reap the harvest. Amen? So that was last week. So now let's go into where we're going today. Let's go to Mark 10, 35. Mark 10, 35. The path is prepared. There's provision, prosperity, and abundance and overflow on our path. So today we're going to talk about the road to greatness. The road to greatness. Following the path God has for you has many different levels. Following the path God has for you has many different levels. You can walk in a lower level of what God has for you. Or you can walk in a higher level. And the thing is, when it comes to the different levels you walk in, it's actually not always up to God. It's up to you. So let's look at how it's up to you. We're talking about the road to greatness today. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. So they're setting up, hey, I, you know, some of you, you know, your kids may have done that to you. Mommy, daddy, just say yes. But you know them well enough. No, no, no. Tell me what you want me to say yes to. And so James and John are coming to Jesus the same way. Just say yes in advance. And he's like, well, what do you want? Now, when you look at the other gospels, it's not just James and John asking. Their mama comes too. The mama's making the pitch too. One of the things that lets you know the age of James and John, James and John are some of the younger apostles. John is actually the youngest. Some commentators believe he was a teenager when God called him. So they're coming there. Their mama's right there and says, hey, Jesus, just, we want you to say yes to what we're about to ask you. And he says, well, what do you want? They said, grant us that we may sit on your right hand and the other on the left in your glory. But Jesus said, you know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And they said unto him, we can. And Jesus said unto him, you shall indeed drink of the cup I drink of. And with the baptism that I am baptized with, you shall be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. One of the other gospels, a strife began. Other, one of the other guys says they were angry. Well, why were they angry? Probably because they didn't ask first. It's like, man, that was a great idea. I should have asked. So they were angry that James and John dared enough to ask to sit on Jesus' left and right in authority and in glory. But notice what Jesus said. He called them to him and said unto them, You know that they which, account, which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so it shall not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So let's pay attention to these last couple of verses and break down some of these words. Of course, the word will means to desire, to intend, to purpose, to be determined. 
So for those who desire intent and purpose and determine to be great, you know, not everybody wants to be great. Some people would like to be great if they don't have to work at it, but not everybody wants to be great. So Jesus is talking to those who want to be great, those who are determined to be great, those who purpose within themselves and intend to be great. This is how you do it. What did he say? They shall be your minister. One of the things also, did you notice that Jesus never checked John and James for the desire to be great? He never told them, you should not ask that question. How dare you want to be great? There's only one great person. You know, Jesus didn't check them on that. So that means that desire wasn't wrong. God has no problem with you being great. Don't you remember what he told Abraham in Genesis 12? He said, I will make your name great and make you into a great nation. God has no problem with you being great. He just wants to be the one who makes you great. Because the way he makes you great has a certain path to it. I remember one time, uh, years ago, I was in Vegas, and it happened to be the summer, so it was burning hot. And so, you know, if you're walking the strip, you're ducking in and out of every hotel just to cool off for a few seconds before you go back to 105, 110, 113 degrees. And so we walked in this one hotel years ago, and of course, it had the owner's name in big gold letters on top of the hotel. And so we walked, and you could see it, and we walk in, and, you know, everything is lavish, everything is gold, even the water in the water fountain tastes better. And we're like, y'all taste this, this tastes better. So, you know, we had our water bottle, so we're filling up. Don't look at me like that, you're doing the same thing. <laughs> and so I'm going into the restroom, and I hear God said, I have no problem with your name being great. I just want to be the one who makes it great. Because if you go out to make your own name great your way, you will step on people, step over people, and violate the law of love to do it. But if you do it God's way, you will follow the law of love. So God has no problem with you being great. God has no problem with your name being great. He wants you to take the path or the road to greatness he laid out. And it says to be great, you must be a minister. The word minister here means a waiter. So if you want to be great, you got to be someone who's willing to wait on people. It's almost like a physical waiter in a restaurant serving people. It's also the word for deacon or the one who carries out the commands of another. If you want to be great, you have to be willing to serve, Jesus is saying. And for those who want to be chiefest, which means first in rank, first in influence, first in honor, they must be servant of all. That word servant means slave. Now, you can't take Western definitions and apply it to an ancient Eastern book. Most people, when they hear the word slave, they think about the slave trade that happened in this nation in the Western Hemisphere. That is not what the Bible is talking about. Remember, the last book of the Bible was written about 1950 years ago, 1,950 years ago, around there. So the Western definition of slavery hasn't even been invented or introduced to the world. If you take what happened concerning the Atlantic slave trade and put it to biblical standards, the law says if you participate in that, you should be stoned and killed. So you cannot look at slavery in the Old Testament or New Testament and put what you would call today slavery, or even what we see in the last few hundred years in this hemisphere as slavery. That's not what it's talking about. 
When you're talking about even Jewish servitude, some was financial, that they took on this so they wouldn't have to be in the same debt. Or some, when you study out the law, it's, I desire to serve this family. And so some of the cases are voluntary servitude. So I choose to be an attendant, another definition of the word, or you choose to be one who gives himself up to another's will, or one who's devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interest. Says, I give myself up to someone else's will. I devote myself to someone else's interest in disregard of my own. What is that? I put what they want above what I want. This is Jesus saying the road to greatness. So if you want to be great and experience the greatness your custom-designed path has for you to offer, you cannot only focus on you. See, we're talking about walking the path, walking the custom-designed path God has for you. And a lot of times, like, if I'm going to walk the path God has for me, I'm going to do the call of God on my life, i got to focus on me. Well, that's partly true. But you can't only focus on you. Because the path God has for you is not just about you. It's also about somebody else. So who are you serving? Who are you serving? Let's go back to chapters to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Look verse 33. Mark chapter 9, verse 33. Greetings to everyone watching online. If you're watching on Twitter or Periscope, go ahead and retweet. Facebook Live, go ahead and share. Sorry, watch party. Invite other people to watch with you. Comment and let us know you're watching. Mark chapter 9, verse 33. And when Jesus came to Capernaum and being in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about between yourselves along the way? So Jesus and the 12 were walking. And they were heading to Capernaum, Jesus' home base is where Jesus' house was. And so you can't say, well, Jesus was homeless. No, he had a house. And it was a large enough house for multiple people to be there all day. So you can't say, well, the Bible says Jesus was homeless. It never said he was homeless. Well, there's a scripture that said he has no place to lay his head. Look in context. Guys, context is king. You can't just pull scriptures out and make them be what you want them to be. You have to observe the context. Jesus said that line when someone says, I'm going to follow you. And Jesus just left a Samaritan town that had kicked him out because he wanted to go preach to the Jews. And so he could not stay there overnight. He had to keep walking to a destination that would accept him. That's when he says, I have no place to lay my head. So you can't say, oh, Jesus was homeless. No, he wasn't. You know, people say, well, yes, you should take care of the homeless because Jesus was homeless. No, you should take care of the homeless just because you're a Christian. Just because you're a believer, just because you believe in prosperity and you understand the worst thing you can do for a poor person is be broke. But you don't say, well, I'm going to take care of the homeless because Jesus was homeless. No, he was not. Well, he was born in a manger. That's because they were out of town. Joseph built a house. He was a construction person. He built a house. He says, well, they gave a sacrifice where people who were poor would good. Yes, they just paid all their taxes to Rome. How many of you have a whole lot of extra money left over after taxes sometimes? But even after they paid all that money in taxes, there are these multiple rich dudes looking for them. We call them wise men or magi. He said, well, there's three. No, no, the Bible doesn't say there's three. The Bible says there were three different gifts. So there could have been two to 400 of them. Now, you had to think it wasn't just three dudes on camels, even though those were pretty Christmas pictures when it looks like that. But, you know, if three dudes on camels enter a city, it doesn't gather attention. 
Come on, if three people in camels enter the metro Atlanta, people are like, oh, that's different, but it's not going to cause the whole city to be moved. It said when the wise men of the magic showed up in Jerusalem, the whole city was moved. Why? The type of offering they were bringing. Because, you know, if you got these three rich people bringing this loads of money, you know they got some, some people to protect their money. You got some people who work with them. So when they show up, it is a sizable crowd. And they visit Jesus in his house. So you can't say Jesus was broke. Well, when he became, entering his ministry was broke. No, there are people who travel with Jesus, Luke chapter 8, for the express purpose of paying for everything. They said they came to, like, no, 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 Jesus, you don't pay for it. Because Jesus did have money. We got this. Jesus' ministry had a treasurer. His name was Judas. The Gospel of John said Judas was a thief. He would steal out the treasury. So, you know, if you only have three pennies in the treasury, you notice when one is missing. Especially, you know Matthew's watching that money. Matthew's all about securing the bag because he was a tax collector saying, we're going to secure that bag. So, you know, Matthew was watching. So Judas was sly, but you know, there had to be enough money in there for Judas to take from him. Matthew didn't know. And it says, Jesus gave to the poor all the time. It was his regular habit. You can't be poor and always give to the poor. So you cannot biblically prove that Jesus was broke. So whoever that was for, I don't know how it got on that subject, but Jesus was not broke. He was not homeless. So Jesus goes back to his home, and being in his house, he said, well, what were you guys arguing about? So apparently the argument wasn't that loud. They were trying to argue softly, but Jesus picked up in the spirit. Y'all debating about something. What's going on? And they were disputing about who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said, if any man desires to be first, the same shall be last of all and the servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the middle of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, who shall ever receive? That word receive means to welcome. Embrace, receive with hospitality. One of these children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not just me, but the one who sent me, the Father. So if you want to be great, you must be willing to lower your own hyped up self-importance. And be willing to serve. People are like, oh, I don't have time to serve because I got my own life going on. We all have our own lives. We all got things going on. But it's willing to say, yeah, I have things going on, but I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to welcome. I'm willing to receive people with hospitality. Jesus said, if you serve and welcome a child in his name, you are serving and welcoming him. And if you serve and welcome him, you are serving and welcoming the Father. Romans 12.3 says it this way. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought. It didn't say don't think highly of yourself. You are supposed to think highly of yourself. This is more, not more highly than you are. Well, what's more highly than I ought when you look down on someone else? That's thinking too highly of yourself. Or thinking too highly of yourself is, yeah, I don't got time to serve. That's beneath me. That is thinking too highly of yourself. In Matthew 18, verse 1, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set them in the middle, or the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever shall receive one such little child in my name receives me. Notice what Jesus did there. He said this little child, not just a little child, this little child. What did this little child do? Jesus called the child over. The child came. Jesus told the child, sit down right here, and the child sat. What did he do? Obey. Didn't question Jesus, why do you want me to come? Jesus, how long do I have to sit still? Jesus, what's going on here? All the different questions we would like to ask God. The child just simply obeyed. And the thing is, we know childlike faith, if you tell them something, they believe it. That's why you got to be careful telling them Santa exists, because they believe it. And when they find out he doesn't exist, they will say, what else have you lied to me about? Well... Go to Philippians chapter 2 with me. Talking about the road to greatness. You have to be willing to serve people. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Now he's not talking about dance battles. Some of you are like, yes, I could see Jesus. Well, I'm not saying he can't or wouldn't, but that's not the intent of the scripture. Jesus said, although... I am God, although I am the Son of God, although I am the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. I didn't come to be served, I came to serve others. So that lets us know that whatever path God has called us to is still a path of service. You can be a billionaire, but it's still a path of service. You can be a high-ranking political leader, but it's still a path of service. One of the things about every person's call is they have a dual call. They have a place to serve within the house of God, and they have a place to serve outside of the house of God. So everyone in here, you have a place to serve within this church. So whether you're part of our welcome team, our ushers, you're part of the praise and worship team, part of the dance team, you're part of kids ministry, the youth ministry, you're part of the people who help us with admin during the week, that's still a place. Some of you are like, well, that is, there's something else. Some of you have different talents that we call upon if we knew you had them. Some of you, you have a green thumb. You're really good at gardening. Tell us. Some of you take great joy in cleaning. That is some people, some people's like, you know, I just, you know, I feel the most relaxed when I clean. Pastor, can I come and help clean some other church? Let the Lord use you. <laughs> you have talents, you have giftings. You know, some of the things I want to do in Faith Park. I would love some people in here who have green thumbs to come and help do some stuff. If that's you, let us know. You have something within you for the blessing of your church as well as your community. The gifts God has for you has a dual role for the house of God God has called you to be a part of as well as outside the house of God. The path God has for us is a path of service. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness or humility of mind, let each esteem each other better than themselves. So it didn't say think lowly of yourself. It says be humble in your mind and think about everybody better than you think of yourself. So if you think of yourself highly, then think of them even more highly. Why? Because if you think of them, yeah, they're such a great person, you're willing to serve them. But if you think, oh, they don't deserve my time, you're looking down on them, you won't serve them. Paul keeps on going and says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So yes, pay attention to your own business. Pay attention to your own things, but also look how can you help others. 
Let this mind be in you, this way of thinking, this mentality, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God or on the same level as God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, the form of a slave, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we know Jesus humbled himself, and when he humbled himself, God lifted him up and gave him a name that's above every name, gave him authority that's above every authority. But even notice how Jesus walked the earth. He esteemed people. So that's why he would talk to the religious elite as well as the outcast. That's why he could sit down with sinners and love on them and sit down with people who would have never been sat down with. How do you see people? Go with me to, well, I'll read this to you, Job chapter 42. Remember, the scripture never said think badly about yourself. Just don't think more highly than you ought. The path God has for us is not a path where we are self-absorbed. It is a path where we also serve others. Yes, God has many wonderful, precious promises for us, but it's not just about us. It's also about others. You know, Job 42.10, we know the story of Job. You know, Job chapter 1, chapter 3 gives us insight, and it talks about the enemy appears before God and says, you've put a head of protection around him. So, you know, that's where you get that phrase from, the hedge of protection. What is the wall of the blessing? Why did Satan know it was there? Because he tried to get to Job before and he couldn't. He says, I can't get through this wall. And he begins to accuse Job's character because that's what Satan means, an accuser. So you need to make sure that you're not the accuser because you're acting like somebody else. So if you go back and look at your Facebook profile, your tweets and everything you post, are you more like God or are you more like your enemy? Anywho. And he accuses Job's character. He says, well, if you took away, he only serves you because he's prosperous. He only serves you because he's blessed. If you took it all away, he wouldn't serve you. Remember what God told him? He says, why have you come here to accuse my servant Job? But notice, if you read Job chapter 1, and he pays attention to every word, and you'll read it from a religious point of view. You just read it. Notice what God says. Everything he has is in your hands. How do we go from a wall of protection to everything that is already in your hand. You read Job chapter 3, 25 and 26, Job says, what I greatly feared came upon me. Fear opened the door for the enemy to attack and wreak havoc on Job's life. And that's what he did. So it never says God afflicted Job. It was always the enemy. And the enemy brought the destruction in. And the destruction was so severe and Job's four friends heard about it. They came and sat down with Job and mourned with him in silence for seven days. And then you have chapter upon chapter upon chapter upon chapter of the wisdom of the ancient each trying to figure out why it happens. They say, well, Job, you must have sinned. Well, you must have done this. And then Job says, no, God is good. Well, is he really good? They're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for chapter upon chapter upon chapter. And then the youngest speaks up. He says, look, I was quiet because I'm the youngest, and I thought with age comes wisdom, but apparently I was wrong. So after chapters of listening to all of these four guys talk, he says, apparently you can still be old and stupid. 
And then he begins to share some wisdom. And after that, God shows up and says, because one of the things Job says, well, here's my case. God, you should show up and talk to me about it face to face. And God goes, well, here I am. And God takes him on a virtual tour of the universe. Do you know how this works? Do you know how this works? Were you there when I made this? Were you, did I miss you somewhere? Were you standing behind me when I did this? Do you even know how the stars work? Do you know how the goats do this? Do you know he's going from the big to the small? And Job in chapter 42 says, God, I was stupid. I repent. And so, but notice, Job is still in a bad state. Because after God checks Job, he checks his three friends. Not the fourth one who spoke wisdom, but the other three. He checks them, and he says, so that you don't receive the result of your stupidity, Job is going to pray for you. But as soon as Job began to use his faith and pray for somebody else, something wonderful happened. Job 42.10, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Could you be stuck in your life because you're only focused on yourself? Could you be stuck in your life because you're only focused on yourself? Have you considered others? When you have your prayer time in the morning, how much do you just pray for yourself and your foe and no more? How much time do you spend praying for your neighbors, your brothers and sisters at church, other people at your workplace? Have you considered praying for others? It's great to learn how to use your faith for yourself, but have you learned to use your faith for somebody else? Because remember, we spent two weeks praying and fasting. One of the areas we're praying and fasting about is miraculous acceleration and breakthrough concerning things that have been causing us to be stuck. And part of the things that God did is grant revelation to us of things that have been holding us back. And some of us have been held back because we're only thinking about ourselves. But once we begin thinking about others, more breakthrough will happen. As we then begin concerned about others, we'll receive miraculous acceleration. So one of the things I talked about last week is how me and First Lady personally sow seed, how God always comes through. And a couple years ago, I was thinking, well, God, I always see, you know, miracles and financial miracles happen for me and Raquel in our personal lives. But I don't see things happen for the church as an organization. I see it for happening as individuals in the church, but overall as an organization. Why do I see it as often as I see it for me and Raquel? And then he says, well, the church has to sow seed. So you know what I started doing about a year and a half ago? I'm going to sow more seed. We've sown more seed this year alone than we've done in previous years. We've sown in other ministries. We've sown into other ministries in trouble. I walked into the uh, office. Actually, I, I texted my executive administrative assistant the other day. I said, cut a C for this amount to this place. Why? I'm expecting major harvest. So a lot of times, remember, there's a scripture in Proverbs that says, there's that who scatters yet increases, and then there's who withhold more than they should, and it tends to poverty. Why? The person who's withholding is always thinking, I'll never have enough. And although they're holding everything, they still go broke. But there's a person who is generous, and they increase. One of the things the Lord told me I was praying this week, for those people who have to break free, break free from the hold of the spirit of poverty, you do it through generosity. That the generous receive the harvest. Your seed does produce a harvest, but your seed is also spiritual. Your generosity has financial and physical, natural things, but it's also spiritual. 
And there are seeds that can change the cycle in your life. Even naturally, when we think about seed being sown when it brings pregnancy, it changed the woman's cycle. Your seed has natural power, but also has spiritual power. Go to Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master or teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? So notice the question. So Jesus is talking to this lawyer. He's not talking about a legal profession. These are people who are experts in the law of Moses. And it says he stood up tempting him. So it's not saying, I just want to study. I want to know more. There's some people who ask Jesus this question because they want an eternal life. They want to learn more. This guy is trying to trap Jesus. So he says, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And he asks him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answers and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So one of the things that lets me know that even people before Jesus showed up on the scene, they believe eternal life was possible. And so notice what Jesus replies to him. You've answered right. Go and do it, and you shall live. But he noticed these key words, willing to justify himself. So this lets you know that he knew the right answer but wasn't living it. And he's about to justify his sin. Because those who know to do right and don't do it, the Bible says it's sin. And so apparently he's not doing it, so he's going to justify why he's not doing it. He says, well, who's my neighbor? See, this dude is a little bit too smart for his own good. Have you ever met people who've too smart for their own good? They've read a lot of stuff but has read them into confusion. And so he's thinking he's going to trap Jesus. And so then Jesus is a master storyteller. You should sometimes just read the parables and the stories of Jesus and how he tells them. And so he begins to say, because remember, he's talking to the religious elite. He said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. They ganged up on him. They jumped him. They stole his clothes. They wounded him. They left him half dead. And by chance, there came down a certain priest by the way. Was walking down the same road and saw this dude who was jumped, stripped, bleeding, in bad shape, half dead. Looked at him. The priest looked at him. Ooh. Walked on by. And then a Levite, someone else part of the religious elite, the tribe set apart to serve God in the temple, saw the same dude and said, let me cross the street and get around this dude. So he's a, remember who he's talking to? The religious elite. So you know there are Levites right there. There are priests right there. There are lawyers right there. Jesus is telling a story that's packing a punch. You read it with a Western mind without understanding the context. Like, oh, well, this is a nice story. Jesus, no, he is hitting and he is hitting hard. And then notice what he says here next. But a certain Samaritan. See, we call this parable the parable of the good Samaritan, but the people Jesus were talking to would say that's an oxymoron because some of the elite Jewish religious leaders were racist. They considered Samaritans half-breeds because they were half-Jewish, half-Gentile, and they had a lot of mixed religion philosophy. Some part was true, and some part was not. Some part was holy, some part was pagan. So they considered Samaritans half-breeds. So now, God, now Jesus already checked the religious elite. And he says, now here comes a Samaritan, you know, the people you call half-breeds. 
Jesus is such a master storyteller. He says he walks down the road and he sees him and he says he has compassion on him. That phrase has compassion in the Greek is the same one we see in the Gospels move with compassion. We see it in the gospel because Jesus moved with compassion. What is that? The divine love of God in action. It's not just, oh, I feel bad for this person. I'm about to show them the love of God. So the person you call a half-breed is going to show the love of God more than you religious elite. He picks him up, puts him on his own beast. The thing is, he could have been riding his own donkey or horse or whatever he was riding. But he's like, you know what? I'm not going to ride it. I'm going to put him on it. I'm going to take him to an inn. I'm going to pour oil and wine into his wound so he can recover. I'm going to bandage him up. And then the next day he told the innkeeper, he says, hey, let him recover here. Here's some money in advance. But if his charge goes over, when I come back, I'll pay you. So when Jesus finished telling the story, you know everybody's looking at him. Everybody is quiet because Jesus just metaphorically slapped every single person in that place. <laughs> then he asked the lawyer to try to trap him. So who was a neighbor? Come on, imagine Jesus telling the story. And the lawyer goes, well, I guess the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, now you go and do likewise. But notice something here. Are you too self-absorbed to be moved with divine compassion? Do you skip serving because you consider your own life too important to serve and show compassion on others? Do you not sign up to serve and be part of Team Faith because, like, I don't got the time? Mm. In this life, in this path God has for us, we cannot only focus on ourselves. We must also focus on others. How much of your time are you thinking about others? But sadly, a lot of times we come to church just for us. Now, part of you should come to church for you. But that can't be the only reason why you come to church. You see, when you look all through the Gospels, even in Mark chapter 2, verse 1, when Jesus entered again into Capernaum, remember his home base where he lived, it was annoyed abroad that he was in the house. Whose house? His own house. And straightway, or immediately, were many gathered together, and there's no more room to receive them, and there was no more room about the door. So it was packed. It was overflowing. People were standing outside the door. They were looking into the windows. And then this group comes to them, because Jesus is preaching the word to them. Bearing one sick of the palsy, he is paralyzed. His four friends are carrying him. They brought him to Jesus. And then they say, well, we can't get into the church today, it's too full. Most people say, well, we tried, let's go back home. But you know, there's at least one crazy friend. See, you should have at least one crazy faith friend. And he says, but what if we climbed on Jesus's house? What if we cut a roof, cut a hole in the roof, and lowered him in? You know, they're actually discussing this. They didn't just automatically, this is a discussion. They are planning. They are plotting. You know, so, so what if we drop them? They said, well, you can't get much worse. <laughs> and so these four friends carry this grown man on top of the house, cut a hole, lower him down to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus had seen their faith. Not just the man, because, you know, the man had had faith to say, yeah, y'all can carry me. 
for the four friends who brought him to Jesus. And we know how the story goes, your son, sins be forgiven thee. And then afterwards he healed him. But notice how the man got there. His friends brought him. His friends thought so much of their friend, they says, we're willing to do what it takes to get you to Jesus. You read through the Gospels, how many times do you see it's all through the Gospels? And they brought them to Jesus, and they brought her to Jesus, and they brought him to Jesus, and they brought the demon-possessed to Jesus, and they brought the sick to Jesus, they brought the disease to Jesus, they brought the lame to Jesus. People brought people to Jesus. They esteemed others who were in bad situations higher than themselves, that we're going to take our time, we're going to take our effort and bring people to Jesus who need to experience Jesus. When's the last time you brought somebody to church? Not invite, brought. He said, well, I invited and they, you know, they told me no or they told me yes. Well, did you follow up on it? He said, hey, I'll come pick you up or I'll meet you at Starbucks ahead of time. When's the last time you brought somebody to Jesus? See, the fact that you actually bring someone to church, you bring someone to experience God, you bring someone to Jesus means you think of them more highly than you think of yourself. A lot of times people say, I'm just coming to church for me. Well, why don't you bring someone else with you so they can experience Jesus too? So church is not just for the believer. It's also for the lost. It's not just for the saved and sanctified. It's also for those whose lives have been destroyed by sin and wrecked by hell. It's for both. But if the church doesn't get the mentality of church is not just for me, then people won't begin to experience the mercy and goodness of Jesus and the love on the house of God they should. So we have to think of others so highly that we're willing to bring them to Jesus. Do you know how many people are even more willing to come to church during Christmas time? They think, well, it is Christmas time. I, I probably should go to a church. That just makes sense. Since they're thinking that way, bring them. Do you know how many people who they say, well, I don't want to hear preaching. They say, well, I'll come to a concert, which just happens to be on December 15th. Now, what we're going to do, we're going to preach to them through song. They don't know it, but it's still going to be preaching. It's still the word of God. It's delivered through song. And they'll come to hear some nice music. They'll come to see some Christmas stuff. And the Holy Ghost works on their heart while they're here. And they get saved. But how do they get there? Somebody brought them to Jesus. We have to think of others so highly that we're willing to bring them to church. We're willing to wake up even earlier to call on mind. There's some people who say, yeah, I'll show you. So you got to call me in the morning and wake me up. Just make sure I'm awake. They say, well, that means I have to wake up earlier. Well, yeah, because you think of them more highly than yourself. Go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. We'll begin to bring this to a close. One of the main things of this message is get your mind off of just yourself. Yes, think about your life, but also think about others. I'm going to give you something else to think about. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be careful or be worried or fear with an anxiety about nothing. So do not be anxious, in other words. Do not be worried. Do not be filled with anxiety. But in everything, so in any situation that will cause you to worry, to be afraid, or to be anxious, in that situation, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So in whatever situation causes anxiety or worry, don't focus on the situation in ways that will cause you to freak out and stress out. 
Instead, take the matter to God in prayer and thanksgiving. In every situation, pray according to the word and give God thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says it this way, In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God and Christ Jesus concerning you. So what is the will of God for my life? In every situation, give God thanks. Not, thank, not praise him for the situation, but in the situation, give him thanks. So I got a bad doctor's report. Praise God. No, you're not praising him for the bad doctor's report. You're praising him for the fact that he's a healer. So while the doctor says this is what's going on in your body, you're telling us, well, I serve a God who heals today. He didn't just heal in Bible days. He heals today and he heals forever because that's who he is. In everything, give thanks. In every situation, praise God. In times when it looks like it's tough, I'm glad my God is tougher, so I'm going to give him glory. In every situation, shift your mentality from your problem to your problem solver. Psalm 42 verse 11 says, why are you cast down on my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. If you're going to walk on the high roads, if you're going to walk to greatness, if you're going to do what God has called you to do, you have to learn how to yet praise God. What do you mean by yet praise? You have to yet praise when you don't feel like praising, when you don't feel like singing, you don't feel like dancing, you don't feel like shouting. You have to learn how to praise God no matter what you feel like, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it sounds like, no matter what they said, no matter what they said is going to happen in your life. You need to learn how to yet praise God in the face of your problem, in the face of your situation, in the face of all of the armies of hell, in the face of wicked people, in the face of haters. You have to learn how to yet praise God. If you want to walk in the great things God has for you, you have to praise God no matter the situation. Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Not just on days where you wake up on the good side of the bed, where well, you feel happy, you feel hopeful, so I'll praise God today. No, you have to learn how to praise God every day, throughout the day, no matter what, no matter your feelings, no matter the circumstance, no matter what they said, you have to yet praise God. So let me give you some scriptures about praise. Psalm 63, 3 and 4. It says, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. That first praise means to shout in praise. So some of you said, well, you know, church shouldn't be that loud. Well, that's not biblical. And heaven is a loud place. One of the loudest noise makers in heaven is God himself. It says thunder comes from his throne. Earthquakes come from his throne. He's one of the loudest ones in heaven. So this one means to shout and praise. This is, thus I will bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. This word bless means to praise, to celebrate, to adore, and to kneel. It means to celebrate. We're supposed to celebrate in the presence of God. It's like, I've been here a little while, and I've seen people take off running. That seems strange to me. Well, have you seen just those YouTube videos, those clips on TikTok of people getting good news? And you know, most times, they don't just stay still like, oh, thank you. They may laugh, they may jump, they may take off running. What are they doing? Celebrating. Yeah. Psalm 134, 
1 through 3, Behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which by night in the house of the Lord lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The Lord that made heaven and earth bless thee out of Zion. Another way of praising is lifting your hands. Lifting your hands is a sign of adoration. It's a sign of surrender. Psalm 22, verse 3, but you are holy, all you that inhabitants the praises of Israel. That word praises means singing. So when we're praising and worshiping God, you should sing. So, well, Pastor, you don't know, I, I can't sing. It doesn't matter if you can't carry a tune in a bucket. God likes to hear you sing. Your neighbor may not like it, but God likes it. So when we praise and worship here, you should sing unto God. At your own house, you should sing unto God. You should rejoice and praise God. Psalm 116, verse 17, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. So there were times in the Old Testament, they just were so thankful to God for being good. They said, I'm going to bring you an offering, God. And it wasn't a small offering, it was an offering so big because what they would do after they brought the offering and they burnt it on the sacrifice and offered it to God, they took a little bit of it and gave it to the priest, they took some home from themselves and they threw a festival to celebrate the goodness of God. So the offerings, the financial offerings you bring to God are ways to praise Him. Psalm 7 verse 17, I will praise the Lord according to His righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. The first praise of this verse means to lift your hands in praise. The second praise is to praise using musical instruments. So what we're about to do in a few moments, when we lift our hands in praise as we celebrate. There are musicians who have come here and they're going to praise God on their instruments. Psalm 149 verse 1 through 3, praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and praise and his praise in the congregation of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made them. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name and the dance. And the dance. Praise him in the dance. You might say, Pastor, I don't got rhythm. And it's saying, if you have rhythm, praise him in the dance. Some of you might see people, you know, I have some friends. They've preached here. They just got, they, they've got like the coolest praise dances. Like, you know, Reverend Dexter Sullivan, I'm talking about, dude, his praise dance got some swag to it. Like every step is, it's, this is amazing. I tease him about it. I've been teasing about it for years. But he's like, well, I can't dance like that. But he didn't say, if you can dance like that, you should praise him on the dance. Whether you have rhythm or not, whether you have two left feet, or you don't even know what your left or your right is on your foot, you can still praise him in the dance. You can still learn how to pick them up, put them down, pick them up, put them down, pick them up, put them down. Praise him in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and harp. Psalm 150 verse 1, praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the ferment of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and heart. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with the string instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him on the high sounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Psalm 18.3, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Do you know what's interesting about all the words for praise in Psalm 150 and here in Psalm 18.3? It's translated to boast on God, to brag on God, 
or to get clamorously foolish, to get beside yourself and praising God. You may look at people and says, they're praising God. It just looks like they lost their mind. You might say, where is their dignity? So it doesn't take all that. Oh, my brother, my sister, there are times where it does take all that. You might be looking at people and say, they look crazy as they pray. You don't know their testimony. You know, I've heard testimonies of people that it was an impossible situation that God brought them out of. And people, we look at them dancing at the front like they've lost their mind. But then I know their testimonies. If I was you, I'd dance the same way. So don't let other people judge your praise. Now, of course, that doesn't mean hit people while you praise. You got your own self-control. Come on, use the mind God has given you. But you can still praise God. You can still praise him in the dance. You can still praise him in a way that doesn't look dignified. Like, Pastor, I need another verse for that. King David, prophet of God, writer of many psalms, king of Israel. When they got into the reverence of God, and they brought it every six steps, they brought the ark back to Jerusalem, they would sacrifice. But as they brought it back, David began to dance. He began to jump. He began to shout. You know, one of the other words for praises is to leap for joy. He danced in such a way, his wife was looking at him and says, didn't you make a fool of yourself today? And he says, woman, I'll get more foolish still. Why? He says, I don't care what people think about me when I praise God. I don't care what I look like when I praise God, because God has been that good. God has been that kind. God has been that compassionate. So I'll dance, I'll shout, I'll jump, I'll run, I'll sing, because I praise the living God who's been good to me, and he's worthy to be praised. Well, pastor, I need one more verse. Gotcha. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. In that hour, Jesus, your example, Jesus, your Savior, Jesus, your Messiah, Jesus, your King, Jesus, your God, rejoiced in spirit. That word rejoice means to jump for joy, to be exceedingly glad. I looked at the word one time, it means to spin around. Jesus, who you picture as always being called. When they came and told him the testimony, the 70 came back and said, yes, this is what happened. The demons were cast out. The gospel was preached. Jesus jumped up for joy, span around, and began to rejoice. His Father, I thank you. So if Jesus can dance, if Jesus can jump, if Jesus can spin, if Jesus can look like he got beside himself to praise God, if Jesus can look like I can put my dignity aside to praise my Father, if he can do it, What's your excuse? Come on. Some of you got to get your praise back. Y'all heard years ago, Stella got her groove back. Some of y'all need to get your praise back. And stop looking at and praise and worship like this. And let Minister Dathan be the only jumper in here. And y'all stare down. Sister Camille, as she leaves, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad he's good to you, Sister Camila. 
It ain't just supposed to be the praise and worship leaders. You, they are not supposed to be your spiritual cheerleaders. You say, well, when they say, lift my hands, lift my hands. No, this is not Christian jazzercise. You shouldn't need them to tell you to praise God. You should be praising God so much during the week that you're just ready to go. You're just ready to go. You're ready to beat them praising God. They say, hasn't God been good? Yes, he's been good to me. Why? Your heart has been prepared, and a prepared heart praises. A prepared heart praises. So whether you look dignified or not, you praise God anyways. You know, one of the things I found out about all the people who I saw physical examples of them dancing before God, none of them were broke. Abraham danced. He wasn't broke. David danced. He wasn't broke. Jesus danced. He wasn't broke. And then it also says Mary, the mother of Jesus, she danced. And we already saw how the Rosman showed up at her house. She wasn't broke. So, that, you know, you can even say it this way, that if you want to look broke, you shouldn't praise. <laughs> that if you want to look poor and impoverished, you should keep your seat when we're about to do praise and worship. But if you want to look like God's been good, you lift your hands, you sing, you shout, you celebrate, you dance, you jump, you spin, you rejoice. You use your full body faculty to praise God. Now you might say, well, pastor, I'm a little bit older than you. Just a tad bit. And I can't do what I used to. Well, do what you can. Do you know what's funny? When you start doing what you can, suddenly you can start doing a little bit more. I will never forget this. I was at one of Pastor Joel's meetings a few years ago, and Sister Dodie Osteen was there. His mama, she gave the testimony of how God here. She walked up the stairs. She's in her 80s, just walking very gingerly up the stairs, walking slowly. She got the mic and she began to testify how God healed her from uncurable cancer decades ago and all the goodness of God. As she's testifying, the power of God is coming on her. You could see it as she's testifying to 10,000 of people. And then she's going to walk down the stairs. People are trying to help her. She's like, no, I got this. And she bounded down the stairs like she was in her 20s. What happened? That anointing hit her. She stepped out. And the anointing hit her. See, I remember stories about Mariah in the last weeks of her life. And physically, she couldn't walk that much. They would carry her to the building, but it says as soon as her feet touched the ground, she would spring to life, and the power of God would come upon her. So you start with well, a little bit. The power of God hits you, you do more. Smith Wigglesworth, he said in his 80s, I start every day with 15 minutes of high-speed praise. He's in his 80s. I'm not sure what that looked like, but he did it. So with all those examples, you are without excuse. Do what you can do. Shout and praise God because he's been good. And a prepared heart praises. Your praise shifts your attention from your situation. I hope you enjoyed today's message. Thank you once again for tuning in today. You know, if you enjoyed the message, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Download our Faith Christian Center Georgia app. 
as well as follow us on social media. And if you want to partner with us as a ministry, you can text FCCJ to 73256. That's FCCJ to 73256. And you can give financially to support this ministry and what we do here in the metro Atlanta area as well as all around the world. Once again, thank you for tuning in today, and I'll see you next time.